Thanks, Allie. Good morning. As Allie said, I'm Janice, and I've been around Blue Ash Community Church for quite a while. You might actually call me affectionately, hopefully, OG. <laughs> um, but I also do have the privilege of serving and working at Back to Back Ministries, which is our partner for our mission trip and where we invest a lot in orphan and vulnerable children. And so I'm really honored to be with you. Like Ali said, there are a lot of churches across the country celebrating Orphan Sunday, honoring and drawing attention to caring for the 163 million orphans around the globe. Um, some churches are calling it Stand Sunday, and they're really trying to mobilize their church to invest in foster care, in kids in foster care. Um, 1,800 of those kids live right here in Hamilton County. And then because I'm elbows deep in this um, work, I can tell you there's a movement out there to call it Pure Religion Sunday. And that comes to us from James 1.27, where he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. And in that freedom to name it whatever we want, we might want to call this our Go Love Live weekend. We want to go to the missing, those who, like Ellie said, don't yet know the love of Jesus. And we want to love the marginalized. We want to love those orphan kiddos, they're marginalized. Kids in foster care, they're marginalized. Kids from hard places are marginalized, and we want to care for them. And the truth is, we are all spiritual orphans before God adopted us. And so this is near and dear to who we are as children of God. But I can't think that we don't just want to set aside, like Allie said, one weekend to be our Go Love Live weekend. So we're actually in a series that aligns or tells you exactly what our mission is here at Blue Ash Community Church. We want to be a church who makes disciples who go to the missing, love the marginalized, and live as God's kids. So we are taking a deep dive. We are looking at the letters from the Apostle Paul to the early church in the New Testament and how those letters set up who we are and kind of what that means for us as the church today. So today we are looking at the book of Ephesians. It is really a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. So we want to jump right in. And I want you to imagine that you're living in 60 AD. I know that's not easy to do, but that is when Paul is thought to have written this letter. But it is written to a group of people who were not God's chosen people. They were not Jews. They were outsiders. They were living in Ephesus, which isn't just another port city. It's actually the second largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. So the people knew that their city was pretty important. It's a bustling city. It's a hub of culture and business. It's a mix of people. And honestly, there were a lot of slaves there too. In Ephesus, they worship the goddess Artemis. She's a Roman goddess of sexual fertility. Not only do they worship her there, but Ephesus was actually considered like the capital hub city for this worship. So maybe a little bit like Las Vegas. I'm like, sure, there's museums, there's great shows you can go to, but there's more than enough debauchery to go around. Paul is writing to a group of people who are immersed in this culture. They were previously outsiders to the people of God, but they have found faith and a love of Jesus. They live in a culture that values status, sex, and sports. Might not be so hard to imagine for us that this could be us. So Paul is writing to them and to us about who we are and whose we are. In Ephesians 1, in Ephesians 1 Paul says, Even before he made the world, God loved us. 
He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. We have an orphan spirit, but through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted. God has made us kids. God has done the hard work. It is through his kindness. Notice that it didn't say if you obey enough, if you go enough, if you love enough, if you pray enough, or even if you be still enough. No, it actually says God decided. And not only did he decide, it gave him great pleasure. Being your dad gives God pleasure. You bring God great pleasure. In chapter 2, Paul tells us like this. And as I read this, maybe you close your eyes for this part and let these verses wash over you. And you soften your heart to receive what the word of God says. And, as, and imagine that it's about you. And I'll tell you, you can close your eyes because it's not going to match what's on the screen up here. <laughs> you were once dead because of your failures and sins. You followed the ways of this present world and its spiritual ruler. This ruler continues to work in people who refuse to obey God. All of us once lived among these people and followed the desires of our own corrupt nature. We did what our corrupt desires and thoughts wanted us to do. So because of our nature, we deserved God's anger just like everyone else. But God is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. He, we were dead because of our failures, but he made us alive together with Christ. It is God's kindness that saved you. God has brought us back to life together with Jesus Christ and has given us a position in heaven with him. He did this through Christ Jesus out of his generosity in order to show his extremely rich kindness to the world to come. God saved you through faith as an act of kindness. You actually had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything you've done, so now no one can brag about it. God has made us what we are. He has created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that he has prepared for us to do. Let me read verse 10 again in the New Living Translation. It actually says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Friends, we are God's masterpieces. You are God's masterpiece. Now, I want to pause here. What do you consider a masterpiece? Is it Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel? Is it Paco Bell's Canon in D? Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water? Gordon Ramsay's Beef Wellington, maybe? Queen's We Are the Champions? Or if you're like me and you're married to a car guy, it could be Zora Duntoff's 63 Corvette Stingray. <laughs> but imagine a creator better than any of those, more accomplished and more talented, and when I mention his masterpiece, you 
are what comes to mind. No matter who you were, no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, you were dead in your sin. Sure, Paul acknowledges that. But God, verse 4 says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And remember back in chapter 1, God said, it said God decided in advance. He knew what was about to happen. He knew what you were going to do, and he already adopted you. He already calls you one of his kids, and it gives him great pleasure to do that. We were spiritual orphans, and now we're adopted into God's family. We are his masterpiece. We are grafted in. We are loved. And Paul actually prays in chapter 3 that we understand this love. He says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Being rooted and established in love. So one could argue that being rooted and established in God. Because we know that our God is love. Paul said in Corinthians that without love, we're a clanging cymbal or a sounding gong. We are nothing. We gain nothing. And John 15 actually says, apart from God, we can do nothing. So being rooted. And here's the deal. We spent a little bit of a time, a couple weeks on being rooted. So if you want to learn more about that, go to our website and check that out. We have a whole series on being rooted. Being rooted and established in love, in God. Paul prays that we have the power to grasp how much God loves us. He loves us with a love that surpasses our knowledge, that we may be filled. And not just filled, but filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, this fullness actually has, um, it kind of speaks to an idea of being filled to perfection or being brought into perfection with God. We are a new creation and we are brought into the fullness of God because of his perfect love. So now what? Let's push into chapter 4 where we find our reaction to this love and our identity. And out of the outflow of the knowledge of whose we are, Paul will spend much of the remaining chapters of Ephesians telling them and us about what it means to live in love or what it means to live as God's kids. In chapter 4, verse 4, um, verse four Paul tells us, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So you know, you have been adopted into the family of God. He called you by name. You have been called. So live according to the calling from a God who is love, who gives us mercy and grace that knows no bounds. God's word translation says it like this. I as a prisoner in the Lord, encourage you to live the kind of life which proves that God has called you. Show the world that the love of God, the creator of the universe, has called you into faith. And that from that love he has lavished on you, we can all live accordingly. Andy asked us two weeks ago 
um, to consider a question that I've been thinking about a lot. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and check it out. Check it out. He asked us, what does love require? And I think here Paul is getting to an answer. In verse 2, he says, be humble and gentle in every way. Be patient with each other and lovingly accept each other. This is a tall ask. I mean, I don't even know what it means to be humble and gentle in every way. And just a small confession as we keep going. Sometimes a message can get, you can get a little stuck when you're trying to write, and it's hard. Um, And the Lord said, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to write the message I need to hear. And so, friends, what I'm about to share with you is not something that I am on the other side of or that I have all together. I am right here with you. These words are for my heart as much as they are for yours. A common definition of humble is not thinking of yourself as any better than other people. It's the antithesis or the opposite of pride. Well, how can we become completely humble? I think that we look at Jesus and we look at his example. During his time on earth, he served, he prayed, he loved, and he didn't ask people to exalt or honor him, even though he is God. He actually served people. He sacrificed himself for us. And if Jesus doesn't need credit, neither do we. And if Jesus didn't need status or fame, then we don't either. Where humility is a posture of lowering ourselves and raising others up, for me, it's also about lowering myself from thinking that I am on the same level as God, which I know sounds crazy. But my pride says, I know what God should do. I know what the best way to do this is. I know how we should handle it and how to make this all work out. However, humility says, I, Janice, you are not God. And more than that, I need, to see, I need to see myself right. But even more than that, I actually need to see the magnificence of our God correctly. And then I will submit and obey, which are ways that we practice humility. And more than just the act or the obedience or the, just the act of our actions, it is that heart posture that says, I am not God. So, And another thing it asks us is, how in this moment can I love and can I serve the people around me into a relationship with that God of love because they matter to him just as much as I do? So for me, this flows right into gentleness, okay? So from humility to gentleness. When we are keenly aware, when I am keenly aware that I am not better than the people around me and, in fact, that I am completely imperfect, I can be gentle with others in their imperfection. When people make mistakes, humility says, you know what? I also make mistakes. And gentleness says, let me not rip them a new one for this mistake because I will too make a mistake and I do not want to be ripped a new one for it. We all need mercy. We can be gentle with people and with their heart. And you might be thinking, well, in today's world, Janice, can I really afford to be gentle? What if someone, won't people take advantage of me or or ignore my voice, or you might say, dude, bruh, I can't be gentle. People will think I'm weak sauce. (laughs) But seriously, won't I be passive if I'm gentle or weak? Won't people ignore my feelings or my rights? Friends, we mistakenly believe that we have to be tough. And in that toughness, our heart gets a little hardened too. 
Gentleness is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and it is kind. And it is understanding. It is comfortable and compassionate, forgiving, and merciful. But it is also, gentleness is also strong and wise. Gentleness strengthens the weak. It's healing for the sick. It's caring for the poor. Gentleness is shown in its strength by restraint. It is easier to dive in and tear someone down. It is easy to give a sarcastic remark. It is easy to let someone have what they deserve. You have to be strong enough to be gentle. It requires incredible control and restraint to remain gentle, especially in difficult situations. But even in a culture that values toughness, it would not be cool for any of us to be rough with a baby. We are compassionate toward animals. Our heart is moved to help in a crisis or a disaster because we actually value gentleness. So we, as a church, are called to be gentle with each other's hearts in forgiveness and in mercy, to support each other and cheer for each other. So I say soften your heart with gentleness and listen and be obedient to that gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in courage and in strength, act. Okay, I kind of lost what verse we're talking about here. Just kidding. We're in verse 2, but that was only the first half of it. Being completely humble and gentle, we've actually only gotten through half a verse. Here's the verse again. Be humble and gentle in every way. Whew. And now, be patient and accept each other, and lovingly accept each other. According to Webster, patience is the ability to remain calm and not become annoyed when dealing with problems or difficult people. Patience is choosing understanding when we'd, when I'd rather choose anger. And I don't know about you, but people try my patience. I actually only choose understanding when I am fully surrendered in the spirit. When we accept others how they are, where they are, for who they are, we can actually be, I can actually be more patient with them. We need to stop trying to change others around them and realize they are not them you are not me, and I am not you. We are each on our own journey. We have had different life experiences, and that is okay. We need to learn to meet each other where we are and accept the fact that each of us is learning, trying, and growing. We can be compassionate. One might say, be gentle, and even be humble, and recognize there are places that people have to accept us the way we are, too, when we're accepting them. In doing these things, we're already preparing for what's coming next in verse 3. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 3 says, make every effort. It could be translated, be eager to keep the unity. Be in a hurry about it or be bent on maintaining unity. It isn't like, well, you know, I tried once to maintain the unity, so that was good enough. I actually stole this quote from a wise friend. When my children can't seem to do something that's expected of them or they can't find something they need, I will say to them, try like your life depends on it. 
This is how I think we need to be making every effort to live in unity. We need to try like our life depends on it. Paul tells us in a few of his letters that we are one body. Okay, so in this example, I have two hands. And what if one of my hands starts actually fighting with the other one of my hands? And this hand cuts off one of the fingers of this hand. Who ultimately loses in this situation? Yeah, me. I do. If my hands start fighting with each other and cut off one of the fingers, I lose. When we, as parts of the body or parts of God's church, are fighting with each other, Jesus loses. And then also people who don't know Jesus because they don't get to see a clear picture or reflection of who God really is, what is his true nature. To live in unity, in one faith, in one hope, in one baptism, says to me, first, be humble, be gentle, be patient, accept one another. But it also says, get on that plane, sign up for that trip, and spend a week loving on kids and families whose language you might not even speak because presence matters. A quick story here about my pride and what I thought I knew. I was sure kind of before I really became immersed in the back-to-back world and serving with back-to-back ministries, I was sure that I knew that we should all take up a collection and send our money to those kiddos instead of wasting money on a plane ticket. I was sure that I knew that. I thought that was the best way to handle the situation. But then I heard one of the high school kids that back-to-back serves share, and she said, this is not exactly what she said word for word, but she said, when you... When people spend not only their hard-earned money, but also their time, their vacation time, which we know is limited, their time away from family and friends to come and see us, to push us on a swing, to play European football, or to clean our community center, we remember that, or we know that God remembers. We know that God sees us. And that reminds me that presence matters and that, quite frankly, I don't actually have it all figured out. And humility is something I need to keep working on because maybe, just maybe, there are new and different ways God wants to show me, to show, to show me how to show up for other people and to love them because love shows up. Humility means crossing the street to care for a person who looks different from you. Maybe they need help raking or with their car or with a meal. Gentleness means crossing the proverbial aisle to be a blessing to people who are different, to extend grace and mercy when you would rather not. Maybe they need a listening ear or encouragement. Accepting one another means spending time in relationship with that person that does not yet know the love of the same Jesus that you do. Keeping unity could mean volunteering at OGB or at Matthew 25, which literally has verses about loving the least of these. These things look a lot like love. Let's make love a verb. Take the love of God to those who we would rather leave in the margin. Let's create unity. Resist in action. Go and love. We're spending a significant amount of time in this series diving into the words of Paul to the early church. One thing Paul says, and this is actually the Janus translation, is follow me as I follow Jesus. 
So I'm looking, as we're reading, for ways that I see Paul imitate Jesus or point to Jesus so that I can imitate Jesus too. Paul shows us examples of in, in his life of how to follow Jesus to faraway places, across political lines, across religious lines, so that no one, and I mean no one, misses the gospel and the love of Jesus. Paul is inviting us to unity as one body, to love our neighbor as ourself. And that could look like sacrificing ourselves. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our treasure. Maybe it's we need to sacrifice what we want or our own comfort, just as Jesus did. Paul is asking us to follow Jesus in our sacrifice, in the way that we love. It's even in our memory verse for this series. I'd love to do this. I know it's a little elementary school, but go with me here. I actually want to read this together. You don't have to have it memorized. It's okay. It's our memory verse, but write it on your heart as you read it together. Ready? It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Because we are adopted, how can we sacrifice this week to reflect Jesus more, to bring his glory closer? Another way that I see Paul following Jesus is in prayer. It stands out to me that twice in Ephesians, Paul tells us he's praying for them. It will show up also in other letters. Often we don't know what Jesus was praying for specifically, but when we look at Jesus' life, he went away to pray. So as Paul is praying for the early church, he is for sure following Jesus' example of praying. He prays for us, in, or he prays in Ephesians 1, but also in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul tells us he was praying, and as I read this, if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart, I want you to hear this as if it's addressed to you with your name in it. But if you call yourself a Christ follower or a disciple, then I want you to imagine yourself praying this for someone else in your life, that they may know the love of God. Again, maybe you close your eyes, don't take a nap. But listen to these eight verses from chapter 3. Paul says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be com made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Where is God calling you to proclaim his love? 
with your words, but more than that, with your actions. Where is he asking you to build unity outside of the lines? Hopefully, God's been working in your heart throughout this scripture and in the morning. So what's next? Well, if this prayer that I read was for you and you say, yes, today I finally understand God's immense love for me, write that down on your Connect card. We want to pray for you and celebrate with you. And consider being baptized next week, next Sunday. If you prayed this prayer for someone else and God brought someone to mind, maybe he gave you a specific next step for that person. Write that down because we would love to pray with you for the fruit of your obedience. Or maybe you spend time this week writing that memory verse that we all read on your heart. Or you get into our reading plan. We have journals back there that you are welcome to take. They have the reading plan right in there. Or maybe this week you read Ephesians. It's only six chapters, so you can try it out. If the reading plan hasn't become part of your rhythm yet, that is okay. But I know that God wants us to get into his word. And maybe this week you try just a chapter a day. And you get through an entire book of the Bible by the time we see each other next Sunday. And see what God does with that. Maybe this week you practice humility or gentleness or you build unity. Have you ever been to a wedding or a party where you can't tell who is family or who is friends? Who is the host or who is the guest? My family and I were at a party like this. There's different groups of friends. And we all have them, right, groups of friends. This particular party had old neighbors, new neighbors, kids' friends from high school, family, and then just really old friends. But at this wedding, these people were not in separate groups. They were not at separate tables. They were all floating in and out. They were all talking to each other. They were happy, they were connected, and they were enjoying. For me, that is a picture of what we want the church to be like. We want to be loving everyone into relationship with Jesus. We want to love people so well that they want to join this amazing family. How God wants you to show his love is different than how he wants me to show his love. But we want to show up here next week being able to count the way that we went out of our way to show God's love. Not because we need to check a box or not because God requires it. But because he first loved us, he adopted us, and he sends us to the missing and to the marginalized to take his love with us. Or maybe today you decide to pray like Paul. Maybe God wants you to get still and to get quiet in his presence this week. That is complete humility. You pray for your friends, or like Jesus said, you pray for your enemies. But Paul wants us to pray. Jesus wants us to pray. Pray in community. You can use the wall back here that we have to pray in community. You can share a prayer request. You can face it out. Other people will pray. So if you feel at all moved during this time to go and pray for your church family, that those tags that face out are a perfect opportunity. Another way that you can receive prayer, of course, is to write it on your card and drop it in the offering, and the staff and prayer teams will pray over that. But you can also come in person for prayer. We'll have a prayer team over here on my right and back here and the left. And we would be honored and privileged to pray as different parts of one body for anything that you want to bring before God. 
as you write your next steps and prayer requests. The ushers are going to come. They're going to bring orange buckets to receive those Connect cards and any tithes or offerings that you brought with you today. But if you're not done with your Connect card, don't worry. You can keep writing it and you can drop it in the black box in the back. Take your time. And then after you put your Connect card in the bucket or after you're done with your Connect card, you want to grab your communion elements. And if you lost them or you forgot to grab them, you can feel free to get up now and grab them. But I'm going to use peer pressure from last week to say don't. Please, I'm going to invite you. Please don't leave the room. Go ahead and grab communion elements. You're not a distraction. And then come back. Because today we want to share in communion with God. Communion with God through the blood of Jesus Christ which is represented in the juice and the waver. His body broken for you, his blood poured out. But we also wanna share in communion with the body of believers around us. As we take this communion, I pray that we have eyes to see each other within the church, in the big C church, all the churches in the city and beyond with love and compassion, and that we feel equipped and empowered to take the love of Jesus and go to those who don't yet know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And I pray that as you worship in this time, you savor how you were adopted and consider how God may want to use you to invite others into this amazing family. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you go before us. I thank you that you are moving in each person's heart. Father, I pray your words are what each person hears. Lord, allow us to hold on to what you have for us to hold on to and let all the rest fall away in these moments. Father, I thank you that you are alive, you are, worship, you are moving, and you desire to be with us. Allow us to see you in new and fresh ways and experience how deep, how wide, how long, how high your love is for us and take that with us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Feel free to sit or stand and receive prayer.